Hey, everyone, real quick, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the Berman Hour podcast. Wherever you are listening at this very moment, please rate us five stars, write us something nice in a review, and be sure, most importantly, to hit that subscribe button. All right, let's get started with the pod. Welcome to the Berman Hour Podcast. I am your host, Jeff Berman. It's good to be with you. It's good to be back into somewhat of a regular routine, a regular schedule with both life and here with the Berman Hour Podcast. My guest this week is Andy Pohl from Question the Answers Podcast, from Sell the Heart Records, and from the band Tsunami Bomb. We have a very interesting, really in-depth interview where we get really brutally honest about his involvement with Tsunami Bomb, the challenges that come along with that, the challenges of running an independent record label in 2021, how you should or maybe shouldn't let down bands that are emailing you, asking you to put out their record. And of course, we talk about podcasts and his podcast and this podcast and the idea behind podcasting to begin with as a a new medium, a, a new venue, a new lane for us to get creative and promote what we're doing artistically. So I really hope that you enjoy this conversation. Once again, big thanks to our sponsors. Where would we be without our lovely sponsors? New Wave and Flow State Coffee. Coffee for creativity. Listen, folks, it's not bullshit. It's not just a clever tagline. This is legitimate. New Wave's Flow State Coffee is coffee that is blended with cacao, and L-theanine. L-theanine is an amino acid that naturally reduces stress and anxiety. And when you drink this coffee, you have that mixed with the caffeine and it sets your brain into an optimal performance mode where you get done what you need to get done. You stay focused. And most importantly, you don't get the shakes and jitters and increased heart rate that you often get from having too much caffeine. This is the best coffee on the marketplace. And coffee like this is like gangbusters right now. It is so popular and we're so fortunate to have New Wave as a sponsor for the Berman Hour podcast. So go to newwave.co slash Berman for those in the back. N-O-O-W-A-V-E dot C-O slash B-E-R-M-A-N. You go to that link, newwave.co slash Berman, and that gets you 10% off your order of what will soon be, certainly, with certainty, your new favorite coffee. Newwave.co slash Berman. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in. Enjoy my interview with my friend Andy Pohl, and I'll see you on the other side. Let's get it. How are you? How are things? Uh, I mean, things are going about as well as I could hope. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, in bet- I'm in between jobs right now, so I'm trying to keep myself busy doing a lot of creative stuff and projects, music. I mean, thankfully, things with Tsunami Bomb are starting to kind of ramp up again. So yeah. that's been giving me an opportunity to kind of flex those muscles again. Well, you're doing the podcast. I mean, we're podcasting bros. We both, you know, do the pods, if that's what yeah. people say. How have you been enjoying doing the question and the answers pod 
you know, I really do enjoy it. And it's a, it's a project that I wasn't sure how long it was going to last or if it even, you know, to be honest, I don't know. I don't know if it will last, but given the, the way that the world, you know, kind of flipped on inside its head, it, it actually turned into a really great opportunity for me to kind of fill my time with something that allowed me to stay connected with people. I've met some really interesting and rad people along the way. You've done some great interviews. You've done some great interviews. I, I hope so. I yeah, mean, absolutely. Yeah, you I mean, interviewed I, I, me. You know? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I mean, I got to, I got to formally meet you for the first time. That was great. I mean, you know, I got to interview bands like Catbite, who I've just been really, really loving their music. So that was great. kind of a neat, neat way to get introduced to them. Just the most recent one I did was this gentleman named Phil Smith, who goes by the name Eugenius, who you know is more in like the hip hop world. And you know, I was like, okay, well, I didn't. I didn't really know that I would even get a chance to interview somebody like outside of the punk spectrum, but I got yeah. the opportunity. And I was like, dude, it was great. Like he's an awesome dude. His music's fantastic. And you know, it's, it's opened up some interesting doorways like that. Yeah. I started the Berman hour low key as a way of always having something connected to the greater di- divided heaven brand that I could push without having to hit people over the head with, oh, I have a new record or a new video. Like it was just a, I, it was an idea to do something that would tickle the creative part of my brain in a time when I had a lot of time to do this kind of stuff and also very subtly continue to push the brand on, on a, on the DL. Did you do the podcast because you wanted to do it or was it a means of kind of subtly pushing label stuff? It was, it was a mixture of both, you know, so, you know, I think to, to what you brought up anymore, I think that any artist or label or entity really, I mean, any kind of brand kind of needs to diversify a little bit and whether or not that takes the form of, I I spoke with Lauren Denizio from Warriors and, you know, they have a, um, a weekly newsletter that they put out. And that's become a really great vehicle for them to stay connected with their audience without it always being something about music, 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 band, 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 you know, uh, you know, for, 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 for Lauren, it's more about, yeah, like I'm trying to still connect with the people that are following me, but I don't necessarily want to always be constantly pushing music all the time. And so I, I think from my perspective, this would be an opportunity to, like you said, low key keep the sell the heart brand engaged without it always being about like listen to this music and like listen to this podcast or like listen to this uh playlist or something like that because there's so much white noise out there that i I figured a more subtle approach that involved a different thing altogether could be a good tool you know yeah absolutely and i i seem to think or i'm I'm coming to a conclusion that much of what's on social media is really, I mean, to say it's disingenuous is the understatement of the century, right? But I used to take an approach of, all right, if I'm not busy with band stuff, maybe I can go in depth about a Divided Heaven song or post something a little bit more on the personal touch of the personal side of my life to try to get that quote unquote authentic reaction from people. Now, if it's a major life event, like I'm having a baby or I, you know, I got engaged or I'm getting married, you know, it's different to post about that. But with everything else, I kind of felt like there were a few years where I was grasping at straws 
And I would think to myself, if I was in a bigger band, you know, my songs would have longer legs and maybe I'd have longer legs and be taller too, but that's beside the point. But my songs would have longer legs that they could kind of carry the momentum of the album cycle or whatever. And there wasn't as such quick of turnover. And I feel like in the past few months, right before my son was born and now as I'm a dad, I'm, I'm not on Instagram at all. I have my accounts and I'll use them for when I need it, but I'm trying to get into a, a pivot point of using this podcast as a means of being my connection to the world because it's a more authentic version of myself, but it's also deeper. Like as doing sell the heart records along with doing the podcast, along with doing all of your musical endeavors, how do you kind of balance out what to put forward? Because at the end of the day, all three of them are things that you're trying to get people to subscribe to or buy, or it, they're things that you're selling. Is that something that you have kind of reckoned with in the past year that we've all been living in this state of arrested development? Definitely. Um, like, so I've made a commitment to myself to go through the one year mark with the podcast. So I'm, when do I'm you hit that, Andy? When do you hit that? I hit that in like I think five weeks. I think six okay. weeks. Um, so I've got a few more episodes already in the can, and then I've got a few others that I'm preparing to record. But once I hit episode number fifty-two, that will have been a full year of one episode a week, you know, without any breaks. And at that point, I'm going to take a break, and it's it's really because I need to. Um, for, for any number of reasons, but I also just think that just to give myself a little bit of a bit of like arms reach from the project and kind of give myself a chance to kind of breathe from it, you know, um, because I, I really enjoy it and it has been this great way to extend not only the record label, but even like the ties with tsunami bomb to a degree. I really do feel like I need to refocus a little bit more attention to, things going on with Tsunami Bomb because we are getting ramped up and, you know, I am only one person. I can only do so much in one given day. And like, even when I was working up and through March of earlier this year, um, you know, the, probably the only reason why I was able to keep the podcast going was because Tsunami Bomb wasn't really doing much. Right. So, you know, now that I'm thinking, okay, Tsunami Bomb's coming back in, the record label's not going anywhere. I'm going to get a job at some point. Something's going to have to be sacrificed. Yeah. And the podcast <laughs> is the, is the low hanging fruit on that list, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Now what I've thought about is that I'd like to keep it going in some capacity, but it will probably be a lot more like i I'm going to do it when I can do it versus doing it as a full-time commitment, one episode every week. Cause as you know, it's a lot of work. Yeah. I mean, I just had to take a few weeks off. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't know. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's a, that scene from The Office where Jim says, having a baby, it gets me out of everything. <laughs> and, and I love her a lot, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, I kind of I pulled that on, uh, on my friend Paris, my boss, Paris, and she called me out on that with that quote. And I was like, damn, she got me. <laughs> but yeah, you know, taking a break, especially around – the music and there have been times I feel like where sell the heart records has been busier. So even when you weren't necessarily busy with tsunami bomb, 
you were still busy, you know, working a decent criminal record, working the next cars record, working the rancid comp. You've you've been busy. So yeah, you you deserve a break. The Mabel Syndrome women, Kristen Bigsby in particular, just take a break when you want to take a break. If you need to take a few weeks off, just do it. Because I had that in my mind too, where I, I have to fucking hit 52 weeks. Mm-hmm. And then I reached a point where I was like, I can't, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, if, if I didn't hit exactly 52 weeks, I wasn't going to beat myself up over it or anything like that. But, right. you know, I figured it was a realistic goal that I could go with. And I figured once I hit that year, then great. I've done a full year of it and it'll be something that I can look back on and say, you know what? I committed to it. I did it. And I had a great run with it. And whether or not I ever, I ever come back to it or not, at least I have the 52 years or 52 weeks I did it in one year. I don't think it's going to go away forever. This past year has felt like 52 years. (laughs) Well, right. Yeah. Right. There are, there are a lot of other things being ramped up with the label too. So I'm wanting to give myself a little bit more bandwidth to, to, you know, uh, I'm trying to incorporate new tools with the label and those take more time, you know, so I'm wanting to give myself a little bit more headspace with that too. Yeah. I just want to let that hang there for a second. You were talking about the label and you used the word bandwidth in a multifaceted sense. That was just, that was perfect, Andy. That was great. Well, let's get into the label. So I discovered Sell the Heart Records, I believe, my intro to him was you did a Fugazi tribute compilation, but you've essentially made quite a name for yourself. I don't want to give uh, too much credit to decent criminal because I know that they'll uh, hold it over my head that I said nice things about them. So I don't want to give them too much credit, but that EP seemed to really turn a lot of heads towards your label, a, a Bay area band now relocated in Southern California that have worked with other labels kind of coming home, so to speak. The story was there, not to mention the record was fantastic. How do you, from the inside, feel like Sell the Heart has grown, both in terms of what you're doing for your artists and the the releases that you're doing, but also from what you feel the perception from outsiders is onto the label? Yeah, I mean, that's an excellent question. I I definitely would give a lot of credit to the fact that I've been able to work with a little bit more of a higher profile bands like yeah. decent criminals, absolutely one of them, you know, you know, th- those guys were working with Rob and wiretap. They had worked with dodgeball records, you know, who have affiliation with the band show off. And I think, mm-hmm. um, but, um, you know, so I mean like, you know, it's not like they were coming from a huge label over to mine, but I mean, I would certainly say that wiretap is at a higher level in terms of, you know, Uh, being well-known than Sell the Heart is, you know? So I absolutely am stoked to have them be affiliated with the label and anything that can kind of bring attention to not only what I'm doing, but the other bands are doing Mm -hmm. is a huge win. And, you know, thankfully I, I have a little bit of a history with those guys and, you know, um, known each other since well before, um, you know, we got together and started working together, but yeah, sure. Um, but, you know, having those affiliations now with some uh, bands such as Decent Criminal and, you know, even like some of these other bands that I'm working with that um, are making debut records like Next Scars and Heavy Seas. But these guys are not spring chickens like these guys have been around. They've been doing bands prior to these new records, but the records are good. The songs are good. And that, I think, has made uh, a big difference, too, is that. 
Um, it's not to say that the records that I've put out before weren't good. I stand behind everything that I've ever helped release. But big a big difference right now is that the bands that I'm working with right now are kind of sticking together and like doing stuff. Yeah. While as some bands that I've worked with in the past, and it's not to shit on anyone, but to be perfectly honest with you, I've worked with some bands that kind of dropped the ball. You know. Yeah. And it is it is what it is. Like I I get it. Sometimes things just work out uh, great, and sometimes they don't work out as well as you'd hope. So, you know, no. No harm, no foul, but at the same time, um, you know, was that the path to hell is made with good intentions, you know? And um, I think that that's kind of the story behind a lot of stuff that gets released and like the way that a lot of labels operate. So I would say it was not a lateral move for Decent Criminal to go to sell the heart from Wiretap. It felt like a little bit of a step back. I perceived it as a step back. And that's not a knock on you, but I would say that now, you know, as we kind of turn the corner into this last half of 2021, I, I would say it would be a lateral move. Like, I, I think Sell the Heart has a higher profile, not just because of, of Decent Criminal, but uh, particularly this, this next Scars record, which seems to be doing really well. I just spoke mm-hmm. to Will a few minutes before I hopped on the horn here with you. And, you know, you said that they're not spring chickens. And I actually asked him a question about this and tried to do so delicately without pointing out the fact that you know they're they're on the the elder side of things as as all of us are um, right <laughs> or most of us anyway i think there there reaches a point where like there's a lot of bands that put out records that don't need to be putting out records and you hear their records and you think yeah they they didn't need to put that record out they don't yeah, need to yeah. be doing this and then you hear a band like next scars and you hear a record like don't panic and the first time i heard it i was like all right i'm i'm into it but it was a grower and i realized no nah, this is this is a kind of band that needs to exist in mm-hmm. 2021. And this is the kind of band that makes sense on your size label because they're putting out excellent records and excellent music. That's very original and very much onto themselves. What's your key to kind of making sure that you can kind of have that vibe with every record that you release or is it just luck? Well, I mean, with respect to Nexcars, I, I feel like I got lucky with the fact that they reached out to me. You know, they had been uh, kind of referred to me by Jeff Dean, who's in the band Heavy Seas, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I had already kind of mil- built this relationship with Jeff, you know, working with Heavy Seas. And then uh, by proxy, he connected me with the guys in Nexcars. And, you know, when I listened to the the songs, I was just like, dude, I can dig this. Like, you know, I mean... It, it harkens back to bands like Hot Water Music, who I'm a huge, huge fan of. You know, there's like touches of like seaweed in there, and I'm a big seaweed fan. So it, it kind of hit those marks, at least for me. And so I know that there's plenty of people out there that like that kind of music. So I figured, you know what? I think that these guys would be worth at least having the conversation with. Mm-hmm. And then through the conversation, it just seemed to make like a good connection. Now, um, I know that not every record and not every song is always going to be a winner, even if I like it. Like, for example, there's there's a record that I put out years ago uh, by this band called Build Us Airplanes, which is members of like Monster Squad, Great Apes, you know, so, you know, really good players. You know, Brian Moss is uh, affiliated with those guys and everything, but he, he wasn't in the band. But anyway, but Mike, Matt Cotty from like Great Apes and uh, Monster Squad, it's a really, really great album. I mean, it's one of the, like, I, I mean, I don't want to say that I have favorites, but it's one of the ones that I listen to probably more often out of mm-hmm. the records that I've put out. And I hate to say it, but it didn't sell well at all. 
you know? Now, I think part of it is that they kind of stopped being a band too. Like they, they kind of stopped doing stuff pretty shortly after the band came out, Mm -hmm. but it's a really good record. And I mean, at this point I, I basically am giving them away because no one knows who they are. Like no one knows what the band is. And if I'm lucky every once in a while, something gets sold, but with anything new, um, I've certainly come to a point where I'm trying to be much more discerning about you is this music point. Yeah. Well, yeah, like like you said, like is this music that I feel has a place in this time that people aren't just going to listen to and they're going to say, "Oh, it's this again." You know? Yes. And and you're right. Like there are bands out there that like I I'm never going to tell somebody that they shouldn't release a record. Yes, release the record. It's your music, release the record. But I do think that there comes a time when the the truth of the matter is that, okay, dude, we've we've heard this before. Like this is nothing groundbreaking, you know. And if it doesn't move a lot of units, then it's like, okay, well, that was to, probably to be expected. I would never, ever, ever suggest that a band shouldn't be discouraged to release a record purely because they think, oh, well, I know we know that we're not reinventing the wheel here, you know, right? Because music is music and art is art, and a feeling is a feeling, you know. So yeah. you should release the record. I just don't know if I'm going to release it for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, they're a good example of people who say, well, I really believe in my music, but I don't believe in it enough to invest my own money into it. <laughs> How about you invest money into it? And and there's there's different schools of thought on that. I don't mean to necessarily kick that notion uh, when right. it's down. But it's interesting to bring up with somebody like you who... Yeah, you're a musician and you play in bands, but you're not doing the new Tsunami record, the Tsunami Bomb EP, you know? You're you're not alternative tentacles. Like, you're sell the heart. You're doing your own thing. Like You're going out of your way to work in an entirely different capacity to help other artists. And that's, like, the ultimate investment. You know, like, people like Rob and people like you are, I mean how you're going to respond to our emails is what us band dudes stay up at night thinking about, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, you know, it's, it's funny uh, that you, that you mentioned that because it's challenging to try to give feedback to a band when like, you know, for instance, you know, I'm in a band. So if I like, let's say I was in a project that was not Tsunami Bomb that wasn't already affiliated with a record label, but I was trying to get it out there. And I, you know, I've been there, I've done this before. And, you know, you get that email back and it's saying, well, you know, we like it, but it's just not really, you know, our cup of tea or like, uh, like it's good, but you know, we're just not like the right time. And how much of that is real and how much of that is bullshit. Right. Because sometimes they just don't like the music, but they don't really want to tell you. Right. Right. And, you know, I, I have given feedback before to bands where I've been a little bit more honest and I've been a little bit more blunt and I've said, okay, listen, your music's good. It's just not something that I'm interested in, like in, in being a part of. Right. So, and I try to be very clear. I try to say, listen, you know, it's not that I think that your music's not good enough to release. It's just that I'm not feeling inspired enough by it to want to get behind it, you know? And 
I, I think that that's a fair thing to say to someone. Yeah, of course. You know, because, you know, it's kind of like, you know, that, that, that kind of uh, thing that a lot of bands think of when like they play a set and like, they know that their set was not very good, you know, but they go to their friend and they say, Hey man, how did it go? And the friend's like, uh, it looked like you had fun up there, you know? And like, you just like, what, what do you say? Cause you know, especially if you're among your peers, it's like, okay, like I know that you bombed it, but it's not what you want to hear. Cause you already know it. Your guitar tone good. was great. Yeah. yeah I, I know my I mean. guitar tone is great. How did we play the fucking songs? Right. Yeah. And you know, I, I think that in a lot of ways you're doing people a disservice if you're not honest, but you, you have to be, you know, mindful of the things that you say though. You can't just say, Oh dude, this sucks. Like, like who says that, you know? No, no, of course. Of course. I would say as a representative for all band dudes ever, the kiss of death is no response. Silence is the worst. It's the, it's the worst. Yeah. 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 I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Rejection. You know, there's there's things that can be built and relationships that can be built out of rejection. Right. I, I mean, because I like to think of myself as somebody who does appreciate all types of music and I will give anything a fair shot, you know. But at the end of the day, if if from a if the the business perspective of running a label, right, if I'm not feeling inspired to want to really put some energy behind it you know, then I, I gotta be truthful about that. And I don't want to give a false impression to somebody because, you know, um, I just, I, I think that that's a fair thing that you can tell to somebody. It's like, you know what, it's good music. I just not really, you know, something, it's not something that I can really get behind, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I don't want to run back the entire conversation that you and I had on your podcast when you were kind enough to interview me back in, November or October. Something like that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I was, I was doing press for they poisoned our fathers, which was yeah. my new single at the time. And we had a very lengthy discussion that if I remember correctly, was both on the record and then we continued it off the record. Mm-hmm. And something I'm doing with, with the Berman hour now is um, there is no off the record. So okay. <laughs> we're just calling it in the ring and we get nasty with it. And, uh, as long as we don't get into anything litigious. But right. I'm curious now of your input, the shoes on the other foot, I get to kind of ask you and, and grill you a little bit on it. As somebody who so eloquently stated, as you just did, how you're very careful and judicious with who you choose to invest your label money into when you want to put out their record and you want to work with an artist and help develop artists, how does Spotify and streaming play into both how you decide if you want to work with an artist and then how you determine how well something has done depending on how well it does on a streaming service? Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. I, um, I don't think that streaming is a silver bullet. Uh, at least I don't think that it's as much of a silver bullet as people like to think it is. Um, now, what I do you mean by that silver bullet? Because yeah, it's yeah, not so, a surefire so, uh, thing to success. Well, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm trying to to figure out how to best articulate this thought that I have on it. So, like, I'll, I'll put it this way: so the benefit of streaming is that you will get paid, right? So if you focus your attention to streaming, and if you put a lot of energy behind trying to get people 
to gather around this platform that that other companies have put a lot of money into and a lot of time to build out. And regardless of their intentions and whether or not they actually care about artists, I think that that can be left out of the conversation because it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. You know, um, there's this platform that exists. They have a mechanism in which you can get paid to have your music streamed. Right. And they do pay you. So I think as a means towards an end for any artist that wants to try to leverage all the tools that we have, it's a great tool to use in regards to whether or not that I think that it would be anything that I would ever try to use to gauge whether or not an artist is worth investing in. No, the answer is no. Um, and what I mean by that is that if an artist were to come to me and you know, they were to show me their music like that, that they wanted to release, like, you know, they gave me a preview of the record Mm -hmm. and you know, I looked on their Instagram and I looked on their Spotify and I looked on their Facebook and I saw really, really low numbers and like poor engagement and all that stuff. I think Spotify would be on the lower part of the totem pole in terms of where my focus would be. I would probably be much more concerned about their level of engagement in Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Well, not so much Facebook anymore because honestly, fuck Facebook, dude, I'm over it. Like Facebook is dumb. Like I, as far as I'm concerned, we should all abandon shit. But right now, to be perfectly honest with you, I think that bands should really get back into doing email lists because let's face it. Every other tool that we have besides that is all algorithm driven and you're at their mercy. Sure. So if like if a band were to come to me and said, yeah, we have like an email list of like 10,000 people, I'd be like, dude, let's work. You know, like, let's yeah. do this. Yeah. I'd be like, that's awesome. You know, but at the same time, though, I imagine that if a band has that many people, they don't need me, you know? So yeah, like yeah. I, I'm, yeah. I'm sure at that point they don't, they don't bother. But I guess back getting back into like your question, um, I do think that it is a tool that I'm starting to start. I'm starting to pay attention more in terms of trying to incorporate in the way that I work with the bands. Mm-hmm. So, you know, let's face it, playlisting is a thing and trying to work on more of a singles driven release schedule versus an album driven release schedule. Like that's a thing and you can fight against it. You can try to push against the current paradigm and see if you can, you know, roll the dice and get lucky. And maybe you will. Um, I'm wanting to try to incorporate more of like the tried and true practices and see how those pan out personally. And it may not work. What do you mean by um, that tried and true practices? What does that mean for you and for Sell the Heart Records? Well, for right now, it means trying to do more releases more often. So, okay. you know, probably more of like a singles driven, you know, environment where instead of rolling, um, instead of rolling the dice on one album release at a time and waiting a year between releases, you know, trying to do more of like, a, we're going to release this single and then another single and then another single and another single. And you know, part of this really is coming from the fact that it's now taking upwards of a year to get vinyl, you know? So if you want to release a vinyl record, like what I would suggest to any band right now, if I could give them like the, the silver bullet advice would be if you have an album that's ready and you want to release it on a physical medium and you haven't started doing it yet, I would go ahead and just start releasing a single every month 
until the vinyl's ready. Like let's let's say you have twelve singles, you know, uh, or twelve songs on your record. Just do a, a single a month, push each single as if it's its own thing, and then by the time you get to the twelfth one, the vinyl's ready. You're giving me anxiety just talking about this. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> You mean it's like too much work? <laughs> well, no, not not so much. I, I don't mind the grunt work for that. I think what I learned from the campaign that Kevin, my publicist, and I did for They Poisoned Our Fathers was I'd say half the people who are casual listeners of Divided Heaven or casual supporters, they heard the song, maybe they liked it, maybe they didn't. But I think 50% probably thought it was a new record. And and then eventually realized that it was just a single. Oh, I see. And okay. then I think there was 50% that read the fine print and realized that it was just a single. I mean, we weren't selling anything with it, so it wasn't like we were pulling right. the wool over people's eyes. And the political nature of the song around the election meant that the campaign that we were vying for was, you know, political upheaval. It, it, it wasn't really so much about how the song did. Right. But the reason why I say that it gives me anxiety as to what you're talking about is that as we kind of dive further and further deeper into the abyss of this streaming world, simultaneously there's masters that we know and masters that we don't know that we're mm-hmm. trying to serve in that world. It makes me like it less. Like if I'm going to listen to Hunky Dory by David Bowie on Spotify, that's fantastic. But if I want to actually support an artist, I, I want to either have something physical or better yet, I'll go see them when I have an opportunity to see them and buy the record at the merch table, which is my preferred method of getting new records is the merch table. It's my favorite place. Right. But faced with the daunting task of having to keep reinventing something over the course of 12 or 15 months, that is onto itself a cohesive piece of art in my mind and in my heart. That's the problem that I have with it. And that if I'm picking up what you're saying, you're saying that the streaming option is an option and and bands have that. So they shouldn't not release their music. What I'm saying is I don't want to fucking release my music that way. (laughs) I want to be able to put out full length records on a semi-consistent basis because that fits into my creative timeline of, of things. Um, right. Is that something that both you as an artist, but also as, as a label rep that you are, I don't know, are, are you worried about the idea that we're kind of racing to the bottom with streaming or, or are you purely looking at it as a, uh, as a utility? I think the proper way to consider streaming is that it's a tool in your toolbox. You, like I think I think so much of it depends on what genre you're in too, to be perfectly yeah. honest with you. So for example, uh uh next cars, right? Let, let's use them as an example, right? I personally think that they have several songs that could easily be like a, a quote unquote hit, right? Like a conventional kind of radio friendly hit because they have catchy choruses, you can sing along to them. You know, it's a good, you know, some of them are like good mid tempo. It's not too abrasive, but it's not, you know, super sappy either. Right Mm -hmm. now, I don't have the, the mechanisms in place to elevate a song 
from them to those heights. Like I just, I, you know, I don't have the money, like, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, get infrastructure. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? I just don't have yeah. that. Right. So the chances of that happening are pretty slim, but, um, not to mention, I think that their core audience are much more inclined to come see them live, buy a record from the merch table, you know, and then hang out after the, with them and have a beer or something like that, you know? And I'm sure that there are plenty of other people from other walks of life that would like them too. But, um, I just, I don't think that they are like the type of band that streaming is going to necessarily leverage, you know, the, the maximum output, you know, that you can mm-hmm. get now they could get lucky. They could get on a couple of really choice playlists and like maybe, the right tastemakers were to be like, Oh, this is really great. And then it just really brings them to a new echelon of like, you know, exposure. And that would be fantastic. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't say no to any of that. Right. Um, but I, I think though that because streaming is very passive for most people that it kind of caters towards more pop, it caters towards more, you know, maybe dance and hip hop stuff. Um, like uh, background music, electronic stuff, you know, like, I mean, like I remember when, when I was working, you know, I would put on, put on Spotify playlists that were just, you know, um, like easy kind of chill, like lo-fi jazz kind of stuff, you know, like instrumental jazz stuff. I love that stuff, you know, and I can just push the button and boom, I've got like a crazy amount of like different songs coming up all the time. Right. But But you're typically not going to, necessarily buy those kind of records to listen to at home when you're actively listening but when you're in a passive capacity exactly right yeah in a passive capacity yes now the the albums and the bands that i care about a lot where i'm like dude this full album is dope you know like that's where i'm gonna go out i'm gonna buy the record um and you know it's it's an interesting thing to say because the irony there is that I love that lo-fi jazz stuff. I love those kind of like trip hop beats. Like I, I love all that stuff, but I can't possibly buy all of those records. You know, I just, I can't, you know, and no one can. So like, and many of those artists produce vinyl, like they produce CDs, they produce all this stuff. So yeah, I, I think that, <sighs> I think that, yeah, like streaming is not the magic bullet um, for any artist. I, but I do think that it caters more towards certain types of audiences or certain types of artists that are, I guess, more uh, in line with the passive listener, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm always kind of going back to that Against Me song where they're singing about, I think the song is up the cuts where they're singing about how, if you make the music more accessible, it will ultimately make it more disposable. And when the music is more, when the music that is more disposable is birthed from and heavily connected to a vibrant and significant subculture, Mm -hmm. that in turn can be problematic because you lose out on, some of the cultural shift that can come from that subculture if the art that is being produced within it is more easily exposable. And in this case, it's people can hear it, people can access it, but they... Yeah. I'm hoping that there's something else. I don't know... You and I are kind of the same age. Like We remember where, where people are like around 2000... 
2006, 2007, people started to say like, the industry is going to have a big change soon. And the industry is just going to, there's going to be a demise and what grows out of it is going to be awesome. And it's going to be this collective thing, but it just, what we're dealing with in 2021, I think this sucks. I don't think it's conducive to people creating music and having long careers. I think it's conducive to like short spurts of temporary fits of creativity that won't necessarily, I don't know. I don't think it's going to get us anywhere. Like as, as a people, as a culture, as a society and in terms of a subculture, Oh, no, I, dude, I mean, believe me, like Spotify and streaming services are problematic, like plain and simple. Like they're they're not they're not as friendly to artists as they would like to make themselves out to be. Right. The, but the, the user only, experience, the UX is phenomenal, right? Well, I don't even think that they're that phenomenal, to be perfectly honest with you. But the only thing and I, I mentioned this earlier that is good about these platforms is that they pay. They pay on time. Right. So. If you have the ability to get your music into these, um, you know, these, these playlists or like these, you know, tastemaker lists or like whatever, and they have these huge passive listenership that, you know, let's say a couple thousand streams a week, you know, it just, it adds up, you know, and over the course of a year, you make a few hundred bucks and like, so maybe over the course of the couple of years, your album does get paid off, you know, but yeah. Um, but it's hard because everyone, like, I mean, what, I, I saw, I heard some stat the other day and I, I don't know if it's verified or not, but, um, it was like some guy on TikTok, and he was talking about how every day there's like some like thousands or so songs uploaded to Spotify every day or something like that. So, you know, there's just this insane glut of music all the time. And I, I, I kind of, I don't know, like. On the other side of this coin, right? Like when I when I look at artists that sometimes I've never heard of and I look at them on Bandcamp, there's artists on Bandcamp that are doing things independently and they're selling hundreds if not thousands of records, you know. Yeah. They're just they're tapping into their audience somehow. And it, it's it boggles my mind cuz I'm like, "Well, shoot, where are these people?" Like, you know, I I almost wonder if it's well, and you know, Bandcamp is an interesting animal because they they don't really have like a pay to play mechanism, which is great. I'm glad that they don't do that. But they have like their kind of tastemakers that have like editorials and like they list mm-hmm. people. And you know, if you get on these lists, like that can really expose you to a lot of people, which is really fantastic. But they're doing it in a much more like I guess um, traditional platform. You know, which is like if we really like your music, we'll talk about it. You know, right. and. Um, it's kind of a level playing field in that regard. Um, while as with like a mechanism like Spotify, you're having to seek out, you know, the approval, you know, of people. And like, basically what the approval means is like, Hey, you're going to give me 20 bucks, you know, which I mean, Spotify technically even says it's like, it's against their guidelines. And it's like, we'll take you off if we find out that you're being, you know, playlisted like in this manner. And it's like, there's entire businesses built around this model and it's, it's insane. It's stupid. Like, yeah, I, I would so much rather focus my time and energy into building a massive email list, a massive following on Bandcamp. Um, hell, I'd even like to get a massive following on TikTok because TikTok seems to be like the only, you know, social network right now that has a somewhat, uh, fair chance of getting organic growth right now because Instagram and Facebook and even Twitter, 
those are gone, like long gone, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about Tsunami Bomb. Sure. Because you guys are ramping up again. My first question, though, is something I wondered about. Sure. Tsunami Bomb was a very iconic band for Mm -hmm. a lot of people in the early 2000s. It seemed like everybody was kind of irreplaceable, even though there was a decent amount of turnover back then. Without Agent M, was there any, I don't know, hesitancy or skepticism about presenting a new version of the band, yourself included, mm-hmm. but with 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 new personnel when the band had such a... Uh, Maybe iconic isn't the right word, but when the band had such a established and unique, you know, a, a group of people that that made up the band in in two thousand two to two thousand six or whatever it was, is that something that collectively that the band thinks about as you're getting ready to release new music? Like, well, how do we avoid confusion? How do we bridge the gap between different eras of the band and the different catalog when you have people that weren't there? Right. No, and that's a that's a very fair question. It's it's not a question that we haven't gotten before. Um, so yeah, and as you pointed out, like I came in a few years after the fact, uh, the band got back together, reunited in this like kind of mixture of old and new, right? And uh from what you know, I was living with Dominic at the time when the band got back together, and you know, I was privy to like everything that was going on. And the answer to short answer is yes, is like there was you know, a certain level of care and thoughtfulness that went into like how they were going to approach this. Because effectively, from what I understand, like it was, it was posed to all of the, like all the original members. Right. So we're talking like every guitar player, you know, everyone that's been involved with the band, if they wanted to somehow be involved in making this revitalization of this band come back, like the ghost of this band kind of coming back to life. Right. And essentially what it came down to was that the people that were interested came back and the ones who weren't didn't. Yeah. And, you know, I think that they were pretty plain and pretty clear about that when uh, addressing that subject was like, you know, like, and I mean, like, let's face it, the elephant in the room is that M, you know, isn't involved. Right. Um, And and when I ask this question, I'm not asking it on behalf of the trolls on punk news or or anybody, the haters, you know what I mean? I don't mean that. I just mean like internally. Oh, sure. Yeah, Yeah. Like, can we represent it? It's like, yeah, you can get the personnel that represents it musically uh, in a solid manner, but more right. in in an emotional capacity, I guess. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Because you know, there there is an emotional component to it because people do get connected to individual members of any given band, you know. And it doesn't necessarily always have to be the singer; like, it could be the guitar player, it could be the bassist, yeah. it could be the horn players. You know, it doesn't matter. But let's face it; oftentimes, it is singers, right? Uh, yeah. Because they're, they're the voice of the of the band, right? Now, um, like you know, I'm I'm friends with them, and you know, wh- when I even got asked to join, I I asked her, I was like, hey, like I've got invited to join the band, like I, I wanted to kind of mention it to you and just kind of make sure that like it's something like you know you thought basically I wanted to get her blessing, you know? Yeah. And she was like, yeah, of course, like it sounds like a great opportunity, so. <laughs> Like that's like the Godfather. She's in Petaluma. Well, saying, ah, well but you know okay. what I mean. Like you know, no, like, I know, I know. From where I was coming from, I was thinking to myself, okay, well, you know, I know that it's an it's an interesting situation, 
you know, it's not a unique one. Like this has certainly happened before, you know, with other bands. Right. But you know, this is a band that's a little bit more close to home because like, I've known these people for a very long time. Like I knew them back in the day. Right. And, you know, played shows with them and, and whatnot. And so what I didn't want was I like, for instance, my story, like I didn't want there to be any weirdness between Emily and I by joining with this band that she chose not to come back and be a part of. But knowing that she basically said, dude, yeah, like, it's fine. Like, I have no problem with it. That's that told me everything I needed to know, you know, because at that point, it's like, okay, she's doing her thing. And she's doing an awesome job. Like her music's rad. You know, she's great. I'm totally stoked on everything that she's got going on, you know, and it's really the way that we kind of approach it is that it's really the person like the, the fan, you know, or the, like the follower, like whatever you want to call them. Uh, you know, we, we appreciate and we love everyone that like, you know, pays attention to this band, like, you know, to no end, but we understand that there is this emotional component to it. And if they are not along for the ride with us, that's fine. Like, you know, we understand, like, we know that it's not this easy thing to kind of like, let go of because we are attached to the music the way it was presented. And, you know, it can sometimes be hard to replace that, you know? So I can't imagine that too many people didn't come around. I just, I think I always kind of imagined that the internal dialogue at some point would have been understanding that it's a challenge and facing it head on as opposed to sweeping it under the rug. I mean, the teen idols were famous for that because they kind of got back together, but like half the members didn't know it was happening. And it was this whole Fakakta thing or there was a band in, in Washington DC called the suspects where the guy who didn't actually play any shows with the band once they started playing shows, but he was the one that came up with the logo and the name of the band, like resurrected it years later without telling anybody. And it was like, what the fuck? And it turned into this, that those are like extreme examples. Right. But the world is better off having this version of tsunami bomb for sure. But I think you guys have done a pretty good job of, uh, collectively representing both eras equally while also not shying away from the fact that it's not the original personnel, you know? Right. And, you know, I, I feel like we've taken a stance that two things that are different can equally be good. Right. So, there's the era that involved, you know, Agent M, Gabe, Matt, um, you know, and, and whomever happened to be either Jay or like whomever, you know, and then there's the era that is current, right? Which is, you know, three founding members of the band and then a new singer who's really you, like, she's not new anymore. Like, yeah. you know, like she's almost been in the band just as long as M was, you know? And, you know, I'm coming up on being, uh, like, I just, I just found this out. Like, uh, apparently in about a, I think in like eight months or so, like I'll be the longest running guitar player in the band, you know? <laughs> so, you know, it's, that's not saying much for the turnover that they well, had. But, in but, no, but you know what I mean? So <laughs> yeah. I, I think that it's, it's just one of these things that we will never deny the emotional component. We will never deny the truth of the history of the band. It's never being swept under the rug you know, we appreciate and the band like has so much history that, 
you can't deny any of it, you know, and all of that led to the, to this. So why would we ever try to deny that or like, you know, make it seem like it was less than it was because it's like, dude, all of it was valid. And like, dude, those albums are great. You know? So I give, I give y'all a lot of credit for that. I think that you navigated those difficult waters very well these past six and a half years. You know, I I think that you've, you've, you've obviously represented the name well and, your killer live for sure but thanks yeah as a uh as a continuation of a brand i think that's where it kind of gets tricky you know Mm -hmm. for what people recognize and what people remember Um, but i think you've handled it very very well what what's next you you guys i saw something about an oingo boingo cover and then there's another ep coming out what's what's new music wise for tsunami bomb yeah, so we recently released a new seven inch that's two covers. So we had we had released this Oingo Boingo cover as part of a compilation that was put out um, a little while ago. It was a Halloween covers, you know. Um, that's right. So we had, yeah, we had done it on that one, but then we were asked by Cleopatra Records to do another cover for another compilation that they were going to do, which unfortunately didn't end up coming to fruition. But what we were able to come up with was a uh, solution to where we released both of those as a seven inch. So it's out of touch, which is the Daryl uh, Daryl Hall and John Oates song, yeah. paired with the uh, Oingo, Boingo, Oingo Boingo cover. And so uh, that came out very recently. Prior to that, we had another seven inch, which was the still standing seven inch, which was two re recordings of classic songs that were now kind of like brought in with this new, you know, version of the band Mm -hmm. and two uh, live tracks, which were uh, recorded in New York. And then uh, we've also got, I can't really disclose all the information, but we have another song coming up soon on another compilation, which there will be announcements for that coming up soon. Um, I just, yeah, like I said, I, I can't really announce specifics yet. And then, yeah, we're in the process of writing uh, demos right now. So we've got, I think we've got around like 15 demos right now that we're yeah. actively working. And the idea is that we are going to release another full length. The uh, hope is for sometime summer of next year, if all things align. But with mm-hmm. you know vinyl being as crazy of a turnaround as it is, it very well may not be until fall of next year. But we have some plans to possibly do some other maybe smaller releases leading up to that as well. Um, Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. Well, we look forward to it. Well, it's always great to catch up with you. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for... And there you have it. That was a good one. Thanks to Andy Pohl for coming on the Berman Hour podcast. Be sure to check out, obviously, his band, Tsunami Bomb. Obviously, the bands that he puts out on his record label, which is Sell the Heart Records, But I think what's most important for this conversation is be sure to check out his podcast, the Question the Answers podcast, which has had so many great interviews over the last year. And hopefully he won't discontinue it. Hopefully he will continue it, I should say. Anyway, thank you, everyone. Thanks to New Wave. Go to newwave.co slash Berman and get 10% off your order. And I'll see everyone next week here on the Berman Hour podcast. Let's get it.